Welcome back to Geekish Cast. This is episode 72, and I am your host, Jeremy. Today I am joined by Jackie and Keith, and they are in the process of making a movie about Charlton Comics. How are you guys doing today? We're doing. We're doing How are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, fair to Midland. I think we're already discussing our uh, sinus issues of the morning, so yeah, yeah. yeah we're all kind of in the same boat. Um, East Coast is covered in yellow pollen. Yeah, and you guys are in Connecticut? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. And I'm in Central California, so I think, you know, somehow we still have the same problems. We're probably in the same latitude. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, guys, let me ask you real quick, and we'll start with, uh, well, Jackie, you're the one who coordinated, so we'll start with you. Cool. Um, how did, so what, give me a quick background on you as a filmmaker and an entertainer and, uh, what your geek cred is. Uh, okay. So I'm a makeup artist. I do beauty makeup. I do special effects. I love horror okay. movies. Uh, you might've seen some of my stuff on sci-fi chiller channel and some lifetime movies, had stuff go to festivals, Sundance, Tribeca, South by Southwest. Um, and that's fun, but my my other side to me is the geek part. I've been reading comics since uh, eight, nine. I collected the Marvel cards. That's how I got into comics. I'd read the back of the cards, get the hero's backstory. And uh, the first comic line I started reading was the Punisher War Zone. And that's, that's me in a nutshell. Nice. So you're more of a Marvel girl than a DC character. I've girl. been diehard Marvel until recently. I've opened up my heart to DC. Okay. Now, how how do you feel about the new Fifty Two? Uh, I haven't I haven't really touched on. Okay. So not savvy. I, that's, I get that answer a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey Keith. So how about you? Why don't you give me a quick uh, background on yourself? Um, I I'm, I do a little bit of everything. Um, mostly corporate and commercial stuff. Uh, I've done some documentary stuff. Uh, lots of weird. Like um, I actually was the head editor on one of the first ever IPTV shows ever done in high def, uh, God, 12 years ago now. Um, we're really cutting edge stuff. So, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. You just get invited to do all kinds of odd projects. I'm primarily an editor. Um, once in a while I go shoot and once in a while I produce or once in a while I do all three. Um, so, you know, it's kind of have job will travel. (laughs) (laughs) I understood completely. Yeah, yeah. So um, I did some quick reading through your website again this morning. Um, why don't you go ahead and give me your website address? Uh, that would be www.charltonmovie.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-T-O-N-M-O-V-I-E. Dot com. Dot com. Yes. And it looked like you guys, when you came up with the idea for this movie, were already at the Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that is that you guys go to conventions quite a bit, or did you just happen to be there this year? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. It's a friend of mine. He runs the con, and uh, I went three or four years in a row, and I just thought it would be something fun to do. It was August, and mm-hmm. you know, I know he puts on a good show, Mitch Halleck, and uh, we went down, and it was, it was in a hockey arena in Bridgeport, Connecticut, so it was very, very cramped on the floor, uh, the way it was designed, and our feet were killing us from... Be trying to get through these crowds. He had record attendance that year. Mm. And I looked up and on the, they were using the ribbon scoreboards and stuff to advertise the day's agenda. And I saw Bob Layton, Denny O'Neill, Paul Kupperberg, Frank McLaughlin. Yeah, this panel, uh, Jose Garcia Lopez. I was like, oh, well, I grew up reading all those guys. Let's, let's go to that. We'll probably hear great Iron Man stories. We'll hear some great Batman stories. And, and we get in there and, um, 
they say, tonight we're going to talk about Charlton Comics. And I was like, what? Yeah, I what never really heard of them. that. So I quickly opened the show program and I see the logo, you know, next to the panel description. I was like, oh, I remember those. They were really crappy. Like, just... Supermarket comics. Yeah, like I, yeah, I would go to my local convenience store as a kid and buy my Spidey and Batman and all that stuff. And I'd see the Charlton comics as, you know, like cowboy stories and haunted spooky ghosts. And I was like, ah, you know, and they were really just the covers were flat and cheap looking compared to the Marvel and DC stuff on the rack. So I just never bothered to buy it. Um, So I was like, oh man, I don't want to listen to this. I said to Jack, I said, Let's just rest for like 10 minutes because our feet were just on fire. And then just politely duck, we'll out, just the duck out the back because we were sitting way toward the back. And they started telling some stories. And I was like, oh, this is really funny. And before we knew it, we moved up because it was hard to hear them into the second row. Yeah. And um, it actually took me till the next day. I was cleaning up my kitchen, washing dishes and kind of thinking about the panel in my head. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so stupid. There's a story here. That probably like like us, not many people have heard. Yeah. Um, it's just so interesting. So I called Jackie and I said, "What do you think of this idea?" And she said, "Oh, that's a good idea." I said, "Well, I can ask Mitch, the guy who put the show together, for their contact for like Bob Billy, and I get their contact info. And we can solicit them." And she's like, "No, let's just go back down." So she came back to my house and we drove all the way back down, paid to get back in twenty-seven dollars to get just in, just to go cold pitch these. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> um, so and they were all aboard. Yeah. We started with Denny O'Neill, went to Bob Layton, and uh, well, actually, all of the they last stops, they so. were they were kind of in on it. They were like, "Yeah, that sounds good," but <laughs> the, the the glitch was they said if Kupperberg says yes, we say yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was the last person we talked to, and he's like, "Yeah, this sounds good. Okay. So let me know." And, and he's admitted <laughs> since then that he kind of was blowing us off because he gets pitched <laughs> ideas all the time that never come to fruition. Um, and uh, he's like, well, what do I know? And we're actually, we're friends now. And, yeah. yeah. So well, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if, if the last guy you were going to pitch was going to be one of those guys. He's like, yes, bring me seven jars of natural honey, a bottle of meat. <laughs> yeah. and, you and you get there and there's like a note. No, now you're going to meet me on top of this volcano. Yeah. Actually, yeah. no, a little bit different. It was a uh, sausage pizza. There you go. Yeah. I knew something. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> Every every great great quest begins with a similar story. And you know it's great because Paul, we just treat him a lot, but he never goes for an expensive meal. He goes for he likes what we like. Uh, we were in Rhode Island at a con, and I was driving him home, and he, I said, oh, you know, my treat. What do you want? And we stopped at this little roast beef shack. It was I would have never gone near it. Uh, he saw it and said, "Let's eat there." I was like, "Really? Okay." <laughs> it was really people. good. But, yeah, yeah, I know. Not that it matters who it was. I got a text like three weeks ago from a friend of mine who just said, would you eat barbecue food from a gas station? I'm like, oh, hell no. God, no. He's like, he's like yeah, I already did. But I just- <laughs> <laughs> barbecue, yes. Sushi, no. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be a rough one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid I just have to pass over gas station food in general. <laughs> just, yeah. I just, those are words that shouldn't go together, I think. <laughs> um, I've got to tell you, so... Like I was telling you a little bit before we started, um, my real familiarity with Charlton is because of DC's acquisition of the characters in the 80s, and really, um, Justice League, like I'm a huge uh, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold combo fan, that era of Justice League, cool. but the Watchmen would be really, you know, you you reverse engineer those characters back to their Charlton, 
<clears throat> I didn't know Denny O'Neill worked at Charlton. Never knew it. Yeah. A lot of people don't. Yeah. And so when I was watching your, um, and I'll, I'll put a link to it, uh, your trailer that you've done for your movie, and there's Denny O'Neill, I was like, holy shit, I had no idea that he was in there at all. You know? There's more than you realize. A lot of guys, uh, they, they had to use pseudonyms. Um, a lot of them just... The internet's really lacking on Charlton information, especially correct information. And there are a lot of guys like we just found out Mort Walker, creator of High and Lois, he worked for them for a, for a stint. And there's no information about that on the internet. They were a place to go if you needed some extra cash. You could make side money for them because you could crank the stuff out. Yeah. And, uh, and there was really no QA there. And, you know, I mean, you could buy a Charlton comic with the wrong cover on it. There was absolutely no QA because they would only print the comic books to leave the presses running. It was more expensive to shut them off. They printed magazines and cereal boxes and what they, have they, you. They made their money off of crossword puzzle books and hit parader and at, you know, normal presses were shut down for the overnight shift, but that's that's where the comic books yeah. came in. Yeah. So they, well, they never bothered the artists and writers. They pretty much had carte blanche to do whatever yeah. they wanted. So that's kind of cool, but they were also the, the serious budget line. They were the the trauma but, films of their day. Yeah, very yeah, so. they very they were in. Uh, that's uh, why it was just it was night cash. You know, like uh, Joe Sinnott told us, he'd do his Marvel stuff during the day, eat dinner, and then crank out an issue of some romance comic at night. It was that easy because it was just talking heads for the most part. Right. Well, and they kind of they survived the death of the superhero comic by yes. because the magazine business basically is what I got from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, the other thing that I found out, and I'm sure you guys cover this, but I had no idea, the creators of Charlton Comics met in a very strange place. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes. And I didn't know that you could do jail time for copyright violation, because there's a lot of fan filmmakers that be in the pokey right now. Oh, that long. Yeah, well, apparently back in the you know 1930s and 40s, that was some serious uh, juju. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's the same line that we're following today. Uh, well, just to give, in case people aren't savvy, John San Angelo, one of the co-founders of Charlton, he was arrested for copyright infringement for bootlegging song lyrics. And to today's kids, the millennial, that would be stealing songs from the internet. Torrenting. Same, yeah. Yeah. Torrenting, same thing. Um, so back Nobody to, even bats an eye about that. Right. Yeah, but and then, uh, so much like the, the uh, lawsuits with Kazaa and Napster back in the early 2000s, that was John San Angelo back in the 30s, except it was ASCAP. I can share a little sidebar story. I was actually at uh, a client's last week, and there was a young college intern there. And he, we were talking about torrenting and how millennials just steal everything. And, and he said, we do, but a friend of mine actually had the FBI knock on his front door a week ago. Because they said, he, they said, you've downloaded too many songs illegally. So they are watching millennials. They do watch. They are watching. It's just a matter of... They're, they're letting a certain amount it. slip, I guess. Yeah. But if you get too much, this kid apparently went across the line. And that was what San Angelo did. He was making far too much money, and he always had the leg up on, on uh, the other bootleggers who were selling song lyrics illegally, and, and ASCAP finally said, you know what, that's enough. We, we need to make money, too. <laughs> that's too funny. We, but So he met his business partner, and they were both in jail. They were both in jail. Mm-hmm. His partner, Ed Levy, was uh, a New Haven, Connecticut lawyer, and he uh, he was arrested for... Uh, political scheme embezzling $1.2 million from the city of Waterbury back in the 30s. And the ringleader of that was the mayor of Waterbury, T. Frank Hayes. And for people from Connecticut, we'll find this funny. The person who caught them and shut them down was uh, a guy named Roland. Um, 
and then many years later, our governor Roland, his great grandson, <laughs> went to jail for the twice. went to jail twice for embezzling. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> full circle. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And now they just call that political consulting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah. Now they've just legalized all the crime. I was going to say, I was going to say, you're electable now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I can't remember what state it was, but somewhere where they were investigating the governor's. Um, uh, lieutenants and right-hand men, yeah. he just made it illegal for them to investigate those people. <laughs> <laughs> I just went, um, no, you can't look into our histories and our criminal activities. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and now I heard they're going to change the name from governor to boss hog. <laughs> they're just going to roll with it. So um, as you guys were getting into this, it, it sounds like you're kind of like in my situation. You're familiar with Charlton and don't know a whole lot going into it. We knew nothing going into it, yeah. except yeah. the funny stories that we heard from those guys at that panel for an hour. Yeah, that was um, our ground zero. Which was pretty much the, the idea behind the trailer, take those stories, because they're the ones that got us interested. We figured if that's the story that got us interested, that's the story that's going to get everyone else interested, mm -hmm. um, at least some kind of an audience anyway. And the, I'm sorry. I was going to say, so, and I, I probably broke your chain of thought as you were headed in this direction, but um, is there some small anecdote you'd like to share that really caught your attention? Well, the, the, the meeting in prison was one of them. Um, I think the other big one was the shredding of the artwork. Yeah, the original was, artwork that these guys would finish up with, they'd run it to print, and then when they were done with it... Uh, San Angelo found out that he could get $5 per pound of recycled paper, so he started collecting whatever piece of paper in the factory he could get his hands on, including the artwork, and just send it to the shredder. For five bucks a pound. That kind of creates this horrible, empty pit in my stomach just hearing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why. I, that's, that's one of the stories that really stuck out. Um, and there's, there's, I don't want to give away um, some of the what kind of came out of that you know memo that they all got about save your artwork for shredding. Um, we'll save that for the but movie. There's, there's quite a big story well, yeah. behind um, that too. It's it's a funny story. Yeah, and and if if I try to head down a, uh, an area where you guys want to save it for yeah, the movie, yeah. just let me know. We'll, I'll back. Absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this: So when you originally came up with the idea to make this movie, did why do I think that you went to PBS with it originally? Was my idea right was it, it was a Connecticut-based company. It's a Connecticut story. I know people at the PBS affiliate in Connecticut CPTV. I'm like, this would be an easy home run sell. We can produce this thing quickly and take it up there and they'll buy it and we'll get it distributed and get Blu-rays or whatever have you. And, and you know, there we yeah, go. Done. And, uh, and that's kind of the idea because there's a good dozen of, you know, decent Charles, Charlton people around here. We can, we can get. So, um, I was talking to a friend of mine in LA that I've worked with forever and, and Dennis and Peters. And he said, uh, huh, that's interesting sounding. Do you have a pitch deck prepared? And I said, yeah, yeah. Well, I made one for Bob and Paul and you know, the, the guys we pitched. He's like, can I look at it? So I sent it to him and he calls a day or two later and uh, he's like, I read your pitch deck. And I said, okay. And he's like, uh, are you crazy? Now this is a guy who is the most optimistic upbeat person on the planet. Dennis was never down. Like, I've seen him down twice in 16 years. I was like, oh, it's a bad idea. And he's like, no, you're thinking too small. This has national legs to it. He's like, uh, he, here's an example. He said, I've never read a comic book. I couldn't tell you squat about comic books. I don't know anything. I read your pitch deck, and I want to see this movie now. So 
it's it's you're you just got to think bigger than this. You don't don't pigeonhole yourself into just selling it to CPTV. Uh, so at that point, I was like, well, you're pretty excited by this. Do you want to help us with this? Because um, one thing Dennis is an expert at is uh, social media and, and that kind of thing. And he was going to kind of get aboard the distribution train. He really knew he had a, a definite pathway at the end that he kept talking about where we could get this thing. We could maybe get theatrical, limited theatrical distribution, things like that. So I'm like, okay, well, why don't you handle that stuff? And um, unfortunately, uh, he contracted ALS in November and passed away in February. It got him quickly. And um, we're kind of reeling still a little bit. Yeah. Um, he, he was a guiding force. He was um, he kept us kind of on schedule, uh, developing timelines. We got ideas, we'd bounce it off of them. And actually, the title of the movie came from him completely by accident. Yeah. We spent months trying to figure out a clever title. And he said, well, you guys got to get some money and form an LLC and just call it like Charlton movie. It doesn't have to do anything with the title. And we just went, oh, you just gave us the title. That's what we'll call it. Charlton yeah. Comics, the movie. Duh. But he was, uh, <laughs> he was also really important to us because he was the non-comic book fan. He was not a geek mm-hmm. at all. He knew nothing. Mm-hmm. So he was our soundboard and and gave us the idea that, you know what, if we if we can stay on the track where we keep Dennis interested and keep the non-fans interested, we have a... We have a double-sided yeah, movie. It's an excellent point because it's easy for us to go down the rabbit hole and keep going down the rabbit hole. Dang for sure. And uh, yeah. I don't want to get too creepy or weird people out or anything or think people are going to think I'm instantly nuts, but I had a dream the other night and, and Dennis and I had a long talk in the dream. And it was really creepy, weird. Like he came and said, you're going down the rabbit hole. And uh, it was it was really weird, and I kind of woke up refocused. It was just, you know how they say sometimes people who pass can visit you in a dream, and I kind of believe that because it was not a dream. It was it was real. Mm-hmm. It was real. So. So he's producing from the other side of the grave. <laughs> That's kind of wild. So let me let me ask you the, the, where he told you you were going down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Did you immediately come out come out of the dream and you're like, wow, I really did have my head up my ass there briefly. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, I, I, my head's up my ass 90% of the time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was more of a, like Jackie put it in the perfect terms a second ago, that we're geeks. So mm-hmm. we're just constantly... We're immersed in geekdom. I think we've got our tunnel vision thing on, and we're forgetting or losing track of the original uh, course of action. Because Dennis had us doing timelines, and we stopped doing that. Yeah. So I had to go to New York the other night, and on the train, I wrote up a new timeline, and we're going to review it after we're done here. See, um, uh, I To refocus myself and and her and get the project back. You know, we we need a timeline, or we'll do this for five years. Yeah. One of our biggest problems (laughs) is that Keith and I are both freelancers for film. We, our schedules need to match up in order for us to get work done. And at the same time, our schedule, our free time schedule has to match up with one of the Charlton guys to do an interview or even sit down and do any work. <laughs> and add in the third factor. Money. All the money that we need. <laughs> right. Because oh, and we can't. Definitely. I do want to hit all your, your money raising goals and your websites and everything here in a minute. Yeah. But it's, to your point about timing. Yeah. I mean, I've got a full time job. Right. And like I told you, we've got four dogs. I also make 3D assets, and that's my hobby that pays for my other hobbies. Mm-hmm. And then I do this podcast. One, well, just to give you guys an idea, so the new Star Wars movie came out in December. Mm-hmm. 
my wife and her sister are going to start a podcast about writing because they're both writers. So I bought a bunch of microphones, this, that, and the other. They didn't really do the podcast. We had the microphone sitting around. My wife got sick of hearing me talk about Star Wars. You know, talk about going down the rabbit hole. There you go. And she's like, you know, we got microphones and shit. Why don't you go start a podcast and talk Star Star Wars? I'm like, yes. Why don't I do that? But then what started happening was people started asking to come on by March. And so my May and June, I'm overbooked, and I'm having to try to push people out to July now. Oh, that's great. And it, Well, it's good, but it's that thing where I didn't sit down and look at it. Like, I never opened a calendar and went, oh, here's what I need to do. Right. I just right. kept just going, oh, here's people I could ask. Here's people I could ask. Right. And then one day I went, shit, I got three people for the same time, or whatever it was. Right. you know. And I'm just like, I need to sit down. If I'm going to do this, I need to sit down, take the time, look at how I'm doing it, fill out a calendar, and remember that me and my wife need to take vacations. Yes. Uh, we've got friends who are having kids or getting married or, you know, graduations are coming. And I can't spend every moment of every weekend doing this or making 3D. No, because imbalance is hard. It will consume you because it's elastic when you when you don't have a budget. We can't pay ourselves to finish this movie right now. So mm-hmm. we have to do the other jobs. You know, right. I'm a single dad. I have to be a dad at times. Like, you know, it's these things happen. Um, that's the unfortunate part, and much like you, when you're doing a, a side project, it can take on a life all its own. And when you're limited with crew, yeah. i.e., like the two of us and a couple <laughs> of guys who pitch in once in a while, you know, it'd be nice if we could have a bigger staff and say, okay, you go shoot that interview with Jackie because I'm going to go here and do this, or I'm going to work on this. And we have to do everything. Yeah. And, and it's just, there are times where, yeah, like, I'll sit down and actually work on. The, uh, like write one of the blogs or something, and I just stare at the screen and go, I got nothing. Yeah. And I have to walk away because it's, it's hard. You work all day long, and then you come home and you have to cut the grass. And, you know, you, know, you I don't have to tell you. You get it. You got so it, yeah. It's, it's, but I, I find it interesting, like, how many creative people and podcaster or artist or, you know, uh, independent comic producer or independent filmmaker – we all seem to have a similar personality type where, man, you get interested in it and your energy just skyrockets. Absolutely. Yeah. I can I can write a whole movie tonight and I can start doing storyboards at 5 a.m. tomorrow. And, yeah. And then all of a sudden reality bites you on the ass Monday morning when you're like, oh, God, I got five meetings in the next four days. Six loads of laundry. Yeah. yeah. I, um, or your credit card email comes in and goes, your bill is due. Oh. Yeah, that's a fun one too, isn't it? I'm a lousy multitasker, so what happens to me is I get to a point where – all of a sudden I have to take care of two or three things at once and I have no more time and I get really pissed off. Yeah. And I lose my mind and can't do any of them. Um, it's a it's a defect in my personality or whatever. I There are times where it gets to the point where I just vapor lock and do none of the things I need to do because I can't not pick which one to do first. Um, it, yeah. So. It, and I just have idle hands. If I'm not working, I am no fun to be around. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jackie's a different thing where, because she does a lot of features, she does a feature for a month and a half, two months, then she's home for a month and a half, two months, where I'm like three days on, one day off, two days on, three days off. I'm all over the place. I, I wish I had more of a definitive thing going on. But, you know, March, I had no work. This month, I'm swamped. It's just weird. Yeah, that's and I think that's one of the dangers of, especially with, you know, being an independent creator or producer of, of you know, product or media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That really, it's it's feast or famine. You'll either be super busy, totally. yeah. yeah, or nothing's going yeah. on. It's, 
I spent about two years in uh, main, on the manufacturing side of this business uh, in the sales. Uh, I was the engineering support guy. And it was funny because we hit like a dead spot last summer and it was Jackie's mother was asking, like, does Keith have a job? <laughs> we got a lot done last yeah. summer in like July and August because. Yeah, we had time to go to the Like beach you said, like our nine in the morning, stuff. my day was over. It was so dead. Yeah. <laughs> and I was getting paid no matter what. So I was like, let's go hang out at Starbucks. Let's go. We got a lot done. Uh-huh. I've noticed that with a lot of people in more creative fields where it's just like, they're either on and slammed and I don't know how we're going to get through this yeah. or yeah. And it's so bizarre how, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was really worried. And then like, you'll get three calls in one day from the new clients or whatever. Oh, I got your name from so-and-so thank God, because I have nothing next week. <laughs> hey, let me ask you. So you guys do a lot of freelance work. Is it, is it word of mouth? Is it social media? Yes. Well, okay. uh, for me, it's it's all word of mouth and uh, a big social media network because that's the easy. I work freelance. I work wherever there is a job. So that could be in Connecticut. That could be in California. And I have crew friends scattered worldwide, actually. And so if you don't stay in constant touch with them and say, like, hey, I'm free, no one remembers you. Yeah. You cannot disappear yeah. ever. I'm, I'm basically word of mouth. And back in the early 2000s, I had a accidental stroke of genius and formed a Final Cut Pro user group um, when Final Cut Pro was getting its teeth in as a professional tool and nobody knew what to do with it. And that made me some sort of certified expert being up on a stage every month. And I had a podcast to go with it. And, uh, so I didn't, haven't needed to demo reel since 03. Between that and the word of mouth thing. Um, that just yesterday I got two calls. Oh, I got your name from so-and-so. and It's good enough. They're hiring you without seeing a frame of your work. Which is flattering. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. Well, and I've I, I've been noticing also lately people that really work the social media thing. It's damn near a full time job. They're on it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's another rabbit hole you can get sucked into doing what we do. There are days where I'll just sit on Twitter and look up the cog. Go. <gasps> it's two in the afternoon. Oh yeah. And all I've been doing is jerking around on Twitter, promoting the movie or just retweeting other things and. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> Your day can go quickly. Yeah. Well, you can. Uh, there's a line from the original Bionic Man pilot where he's like, "Don't confuse movement with progress," and it's real easy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's real easy. Like you're you're doing something, so you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing." And like you said, you, "Oh yeah, I'm doing whatever." And then you realize, "Oh, I've been playing you know old Nintendo ROMs since eleven this morning." <laughs> oh, and since you brought up the Bionic Man, I will say that Charlton Prince is the Bionic Woman. And the $6 million man. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was the $6 million man was the name of the show. But he was the Steve Austin. $6 million bucks. I couldn't get you an arm these days. No. Well, you know, they talked about doing a movie. They talked about doing a movie 15 or 20 years ago with Jim Carrey, and it was going to still be the $6 million man, but he was going to be all shitty by all means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I guess they are doing a, the six billion dollar man. Say, with, uh, for inflation, yeah. Marky Mark or somebody is doing it because he needs more work. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to roll my eyes. Will he have a talking teddy bear with him? <laughs> no, I sure. Well, yeah. Oh, speaking of which, um, I'm, I'm in a little town called Modesto. The only, oh, okay. yeah, the only two things that people know it from. George Lucas mm-hmm. is from here, and Lacey Peterson, the girl that was murdered 15 years ago by her husband, was yeah. from here. Um, well, some group here in town is starting a comic convention. They got Sam J. Jones from Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. 
and and he is he's high on my list of interviews I want to get. So I popped for a table there this week. So I figured at the very least I can run over and be like, uh, sir, here's my business card. You know, it's amazing how that, that Ted movie made him a pop culture icon again. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm in my early 40s. I love the old Buster Crab, Flash Gordon serials before there was Star Wars. Right. Walk into my house. There is a Flash Gordon Queen album in a frame on the wall next to my. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I have a half sleeve here that is a Flash Gordon cartoon uh, tattoo that never got finished because my tattoo artist owned helicopters with high def cameras in the early two thousands uh, when feature channels were the only people with high def uh, films. They gave him a million dollars to go to Africa and do flyovers. So I lost my tattoo artist, so it never got finished. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying out different tattoo artists since, and I still haven't found them. you got to trust the guy, because yeah. it's a one-shot deal. <laughs> it, is. it really is. But, yeah, I didn't mean to get us off. No, 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 that's cool. That, yeah. That's fun. So, I mean, I'm I'm a lifelong nerd. My my third birthday was Star Trek-themed. Oh, that's awesome. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've been same age as Jack. I'm slightly older, I won't date myself, uh, carbon uh-huh. date myself, but I was buying comics in the late 70s and, oh, yeah. you know, when I was a kid, so, yeah. Mm. That was that was my period of time. We lived in a little spot that I could walk two blocks and mm-hmm. buy comic books. And, comics, baseball cards, uh, Pepsi and bubblegum. Yeah, I was going to say, it was. they had like a weird blue knee-high soda. I don't know if you guys had that back. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. in a Windex bottle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think Star Wars was the movie that kind of captured my imagination. You know, I was seven, eight, nine, eight. I was eight when it came out. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I was I was four the year it came out, and um, yeah, that that changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, as, as stupid as it is to say that out loud. No, that's uh, that's great. Well, there was it, it launched a whole different generation of person. I, I I saw Eli Roth on a documentary say like our generation is the first one that started keeping our toys and keeping the, the comics and keeping the all that stuff where yeah. everyone before us threw it away. And that's why all those golden age oh, comics wait, 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 are hard hold to on. find. They didn't throw it away. Their mothers threw it away. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. I mean you go out in my garage, I've got I got toys and you know, like when my kids were young. I that was my excuse to buy more shit. Oh, yeah. yep, more Star Wars stuff. <laughs> I'm trying really hard to coerce my daughter into this kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I get you into it, then I can then I can buy yes. so I can buy Batman action figures and justify it as for her. <laughs> Let me ask you guys, um, Jackie. What? Okay, so you do makeup, special effects, yeah. that sort of. How did you get started? What? How did you? know that that was the field you wanted to go into. Oh, <laughs> that was a uh, awesome story. Eighth grade. Um, my dad's an art teacher. He was a teacher okay. at my junior high. He'd give me a ride home from school. So I'd have to, teachers can't leave school immediately when the last bell rings. They have to stay for like an extra half hour for meeting with other students, whatever. So I'd get stuck there for an extra half hour. I'd get bored. I would work on art projects. And one day he got a shipment of watercolor concentrates and and I noticed that one of the reds looked just like blood. And I started making, you know, fake. That was the first time I did makeup on myself. It was fake scratches and bloody noses and this and that. Um, well, I also, uh, in junior high, I was taking a French class. And I hated French. I had no interest in it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get out of class today by faking a bloody nose. 
So I took some of the paint. I put a dot under my nose. I put two dots on a white tissue. And when class began, the teacher's at the board. She turns around from the board, and I raise my hand, thinking I'm going to go to the nurse, you know, and get out of class. And she takes one look at the, the fake blood, and I didn't know this, but she had a huge blood phobia. She started <laughs> screaming, like horrible <laughs> screaming, clawing at her face. And then instead of just stopping there, no, she runs from, she flees from the classroom to my dad's classroom, all while screaming, Monsieur, Monsieur, your daughter is bleeding. <laughs> so now other teachers are coming out of their classrooms. Other kids are piling out to the hall. And I'll never forget, I, I'm sitting in the class now, dumbstruck, 13 years old, really stupid. And my friend Carrie Nelson looks at me and she goes, you're on your own. <laughs> so I, I book it to the nurse's office. And I walk in the nurse's office. She sees the fake blood. And she goes, just go in the bathroom and take care of yourself. So I go in the bathroom, I lock the door, and I did what any stupid 13-year-old would do to get out of trouble. I tried to make my nose bleed for real. I punched, I picked, I pulled, I slammed it, and this thing wouldn't bleed for real. And while I'm sweating and trying to do this, I hear this tiny little knock at the door. And I'm like, occupied! And it was my dad, and he goes, Jack, are you in there? And I go, yeah, Dad. And he goes, Jack, sweetie, open open the door. And I'm like, no, I, I can't. He goes... Um, well, everyone's really concerned about you, and I, I really hope that's real blood and not those watercolor that I just got in. So I unlock the door, and he comes in, and he looks at me, and I'm my dad's kid, and he knows what I did. He goes, well, you know what we got to do, right? And I go, yeah. So, like a good father, he chewed me out in front of the entire school and made me give a public apology to the entire school. And that was the day I decided I wanted to get into makeup effects. That's actually an awesome story. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, and so how about you, Keith? What what kind of got you headed that direction? Um, believe it or not, I wanted to draw comic books. Uh, oh, okay. I was, was going to draw for Marvel. Believe it. made up my mind. Uh, when I saw John Romita Jr.'s artwork in the late 70s, I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I started to draw. And uh, that's who I was going to be. And uh, I, I, you know, you're mentally fragile when you're that age. And... They had the thing, the Marvel tryout book in like 84, 85, and I, I did it and sent it in, and I got the polite rejection letter, and it just crushed my spirits completely. That and a guidance counselor telling me that you can't do that. That's not a career. Pick a real job. And, um, so I, I bought into the whole negative vibe and gave up, <clears throat> and I didn't know what to do. I was working in a factory after high school, uh, wiring these test amplifiers for NASA in uh, you know, they'd like shake things, stress test. And I was doing that and I didn't know what to do. And I was constantly getting caught either in the back gabbing away about sports or I'd get on the, I was closest to the employee phone. So I'd answer it and then have to page people and I'd be like a game show host, you know, oh, no. and they're like, you know, why don't you go to Connecticut school of broadcasting or something? Cause you don't shut up. You just, <laughs> and you're like, you're a creative person. You're just wasting your time here. And I'm like, Okay, and a friend of mine intercepted me and said, "Don't go there. Go to this other community college. They have a great program and they have TV there too." Then I just got sucked into production. I was like, "This is awesome! It's like drawing except for the camera." And you know, and I really liked editing because you can just manipulate the message. I thought that was the coolest thing ever, um, and that was it. I just I went all in, and it was kind of I found a creative outlet that was close enough to comics. Um, so and then you know. Just never looked back from there. I've tried. I've tried to look back and go a different way, but it doesn't work. <laughs> so, 
So we're we're kind of in an age now where things are more accessible oh, yeah. to artistic people. Printing isn't the the you know unfor the forbidden market that you, you you can print your own comic now with not a lot of money. You can do it print on demand. Sure, your cost per unit would be higher, but whatever. I mean, you could still do it. The barrier to entry for an artistic person now, I would say, is that the lowest it's ever been in history. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you think this has been helpful or harmful to artistic endeavors overall? I, I know that's a really broad question. It is. Um, I would say it's, it's helpful because uh, to tie in what you said, anybody can print their comic book. Um, we didn't realize it when we started our documentary, but there's a Charlton resurgence where a bunch of the Charlton guys got together and now they're printing a comic under the title Charlton Neo, the Charlton Arrow, and they're reprinting old Charlton stuff and they have new Charlton stuff featuring old Charlton artists and writers and some new people too. Um, so yeah, it is, it is, it's making it very accessible and they have a small market and they don't have nationwide distribution. They're doing it on their own right now, but it's, it's picking up steam slowly but surely. Yeah, they're hoping to get enough uh, interest to get it into Diamond. They have to print a certain quantity for Diamond to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting closer and closer, but right now you have to do it through Amazon uh, or Mortod.com. Uh, Mortod is selling them through. He's the publisher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a cool thing. Uh, in our business, because everything's so democratized and it's a race to the bottom, smaller, cheaper, quicker, and that includes talent, It gets mm-hmm. it's challenging, and I'm it's scary that approaching 50 years old, I'm trying to stave off obsolescence. Do you want me to bleep that when you said approaching 50? Do you want no. me to say- oh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, you know, I'm just, you try to forecast out that. It's, it's scary. It is scary. Um, and that's, I've got, I've made some friends through doing this podcast and they, um, I have noticed that, you know, as the costs come down, people are expected to work for free now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Happy um, to do so. Or you have to wear many hats. Like, I used to be just an editor, and we'd have a sound person and a graphics person, and now I'm supposed to do everything. Yeah. One person. And, and I, to be, you know what, honestly, I see it with plumbers, too. That people expect more and more yes. for less and less, you know. But I've noticed this where people are expected to, you know, hey, um, yeah, I need a writer for my blog. Uh, I expect you to do it for free, and if you don't want to do it, I'll just go on Craigslist and get somebody else. And, yeah. find somebody and, it's, else. and it's scary because when I got into this business, it was like 350 bucks an hour to use an edit suite. And mm-hmm. now you can get a kid with an iMac for $15 an hour. Yeah. And they're happy to do yeah. it. Yeah. 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 yeah, and they don't understand that you actually drag everything around you down with you. That's why that race to the bottom scares the, scares the hell out of me. Me too. Me too. And that's why I... One of the things about this, you know, selling this movie, it'd probably be easy. Someone's going to want it. Yeah. It's how do you get the eyeballs on it? Because there's just so much out there now. Because you can throw it up on Netflix, and it's just going to get lost in the shuffle. Oh yeah. But if Netflix wants to give us a half a million dollars to lose it in the that's, shuffle, that's fine. Hey, that's their prerogative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but recording artists are finding that with streaming services, they're like, you know, they used to get what a penny for every ten plays or something, yeah. and now they get. A tenth of a penny for every ten thousand plays. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they have to tour now to make any money, and that's why the tickets yeah. are one hundred and fifty bucks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you know, there's something to be said for that. You know, because eventually, like, the many layers in publishing are going to be there. You're not going to need the producers and the, you know, you don't need somebody to stamp records anymore. You can put an, an album up on iTunes or whatever else on your own. 
but in in the process that that dollar's been driven down so far that it was the guys up here in the top that were eating all the money and now that they're gone it's not that that's going to the artists it's just gone it's just gone. gone it's just gone yeah and and the peer group that in my age bracket that hires me those guys that came from that time when they were the kingpins will be gone in a couple of years you know they're pushing retirement age and the people that are going to take over are not they don't have the same sensibilities. It's just everything's going to do a radical dump. Yeah. And uh, I just don't know how to prepare for it. A friend of mine is actually, he's a year younger than me. He's writing a book on obsolete by 50 in this industry. Um, well, yeah, it's not just your industry. No, that's right. it's true. Yeah. I mean, right behind us, we have the the largest generation since the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Our yeah. These little bastards will work for free. And the baby boomers are... Well, hold on, hold on. The ones who will work will work for free. free. Yeah. (laughs) Because most of them want computer jobs. Well, because you're seeing more of these, the old style where they're staying at home a lot later in life. So, you know, they don't have the overhead. And I have my... I'm going to live alone in this house and i got to take care of everything. You know, got a lot of bills to pay. They don't have any bills to pay. It's all disposable income because they live home. Yeah. No, and that's... Yeah, that's... it has been a very like a, that's why I asked that question. So you know the the barrier to entry has been reduced, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's taken a lot of things with it. Yeah, it has. You know, it's, it has, but at the same time, it opens up opportunity. If this was 1995 or 96, could we be doing this right now? Probably, Probably not. not. Not on not for what we're doing it for. No. Oh yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, just let's look at technology. We couldn't have this conversation 20 years. Well, there you have it. Yeah. Right. It's just, it, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like living in the future, but there are certain financial realities we have not caught up with technology. Yet. Well, you know, we're from, we're the last of the analog generation to cross over. So we've got that get off my lawn kind of thing. Like, this is how it used to be. Um, you know, we weren't born, like, my, my daughter's going to be four this summer. She can use an iPad like nobody's business. Like, it's just yeah. second nature. Mm-hmm. And the other day she said, Daddy, let's text the police cops because she was missing her toys. <laughs> <laughs> Text the police cops. Uh, wow. For a three-year-old to just think like that is creepy to me. <laughs> you know, Daddy's just wrapping his head around texting for the last couple of years. You know? <laughs> well, it's, we've, got, we've got friends who are much more the professional class. And, you know, when we already had a family, they were teaching English in Japan and doing this, that, and the other. So their children are younger. Six, six four, and two. And their two-year-old has his own uh, tablet. It's crazy. And, yeah. Yeah. Go on. He can start Netflix. He can play games. I'm thinking, at two. I'm still like trying to figure out why I shouldn't eat my booger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I had my daughter later in life too, so it, I'm in yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, it's a trade-off. You know, you're more grounded. You have your life more situated, but you don't have the energy to chase a two-year-old. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Because if I did it. If I had kids now, I'd be like, now you get back over here because I'm not chasing you and I'm not standing up right now. Look, I'm lucky. She's pretty mellow. She's just... That's really cool. Yeah, but uh, you're right, though. If I had her 10 years ago, I wouldn't be able to deal with it at all. So, you know, you come to a certain point where, okay, I've done things, you know, I get it now. We're coming up up on the end of an hour here. Wow. Yeah. Well, let me ask you guys this. So um, you're self-funding this movie. Yes. And, and it's something you're doing in your free time and out of pocket. So what what kind of fundraising are you guys doing? Well, let me let me jump in first. We, sure. Uh, the plan was we needed to create, create an awareness to get money. 
So we spent a year, we shot the trailer. We started an Indiegogo campaign that lasted 30 days. It went as any Indiegogo campaign should. It failed miserably. We were asking for, I think, $22,000. We were asking for what we needed, and we gained, a, we got a little bit below four grand. Okay. Um, so that was good. That paid for our LLC. That paid for the prize packages. It paid for some stuff that we needed immediately. Then going forward, we, we received um, a, a nice donation. The donor would prefer to remain anonymous. That is, that is keeping us going, but it's still not enough to, to do the Charlton movie justice. Because we, we want to get this movie done fast, not because we're getting bored with it, but because a lot of the Charlton guys are older. We want mm -hmm. them to see this project. This project is for them. It's their legacy. We want them to get the credit that they, they deserve. Um, so. And we need a lot of money for post-production. It's going to be really we want to do graphically right. intensive. Uh, you know, this, there's already nine terabytes of interview footage. So it's a lot of crap to sift through, a mm -hmm. lot. And, um, you know, we're going to have to pay for music. We're going to have to, we have to write a With script. With animation, we're graphics. Voiceover talents, you name it. So the bulk of the money is for post. post. And, uh, you know, that's where we're going to need some more. Um, so getting to where you can donate, you can go to our website, uh, chartlandmovie.com. We have a donate button on the homepage. And if you do, if you prefer to give like a monthly donation, there's also a site called Patreon, which is also on our homepage. Uh, so you can give like a dollar a month, twenty dollars a month. It's a, it's a, a subscription donation. So you have your choice, one time or subscription, whichever your preference may be. Um, and then we also we just launched a store on uh, Cafe Press selling our T-shirts, their logos, and coffee mugs and fun things like right. that. So we have a teaser poster we released about a month ago and. That's available, and it's available on mugs and stuff like that, yeah, too. So. so if you if you would like to get something in return for your donation, I mean, we will be, anyone who gives us money will, of course, get copies of the movies and things like that. But if you want something right now, you can get a T-shirt or a coffee mug or a glass by buying from the store. So it, that, covers your, that covers your fundraising pages and this, that, and the other. Um, most of the money you're trying to raise is now going to be for post-production. Yeah, post yes. is going to be a, a, a really concerted effort and we're going to need a lot more hands on deck for that. Mm -hmm. So, and that, you know, that's where it, you, it, it's going to shine in post. Yes. I mean, these interviews are talking heads. I mean, blah, boring, who if cares? We could it's, easily shoestring it with just the two of us and a couple of extra guys. That's the easy part. Mm -hmm. um, post is going to, we want it to shine. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, why, why do it if you're not going to do it big? Yeah. You know? Right. Right. So, are you guys done with your interviews? Are there more people you're still trying to get? There's a couple. We got to get a couple more. We, yeah, we've got um, a good list to go. But but we've got to we've got to get it into post soon. We do. There's yeah. no yeah. question about it. We can interview people till the cows come home. Yeah. I mean, we'll pull, we could pull up 200 people to interview, but you know, you can't. <laughs> There's just no way to get them all in there. And well, you 90 minute well, show, and you got to get you know. Yep. Like they say, projects are never finished. They're just abandoned. Right. Yeah. right. And it can always be changed or altered or another one or what have you down the road. But, but the other good thing is that in doing, uh, doing research for this project, I am talking to a lot of people. And we, like we said, we can't interview everybody. We would love to. But I will gather their information and finally rectify the errors that is Charlton Online. 
we'll get the whole, the correct story online. So yeah, maybe we can't interview the comic book collector with everything, but he can give me inside information about like, here's comics you should collect. You know, one's done by Neil Adams, one done by Denny O'Neill, and, and you know, do something to incorporate it. More Todd even suggested um, stuff that we can't get in the movie. We can put into print yeah. in the back of their new books. You know, oh here's a. Here's somebody that couldn't be in the movie, but they have a good story to tell about Charlton and that kind of thing. Make a com- kind of compendium okay. or a companion piece. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, somebody might want to invest in a show foundation kind of thing where we just go document the rest of these guys and just put it on a shelf. Yeah. You know, like the Shoah Foundation went and found all those survivors of World War II. They never went in a movie or anything, but they went on a shelf, archived. Mm-hmm. So one day For some day, somebody might want it. Right. So... Um, you know, the, the idea is we got to get the story told and, and, you know, there's all this, um, you know, extraneous noise that we got to filter through, but we, um, and that's part of, again, going back to where we kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit and got to refocus because we've gotten so consumed with the acquisition of content. We're forgetting about the presentation of said content has been kicked to the curb. And I've uh, got to kind of loop back around and refocus. And that's kind of what I did this week. Luckily, Keeping it compelling and interesting and fun and funny is the goal. Luckily, Charlton has a lot of I can't believe that happened stories. Oh, and lots of this. The, the company <laughs> was only in business for 40, 40 some odd years. and But within each decade, there's a, oh, my gosh, holy crap, you did what? Seriously. And that's what's going to keep it moving, where it will be a, a sequential historical story. But those historical moments are like embezzlement, you know, fraud, hijinks, <laughs> laughter, ping pong, all that fun stuff. Gambling debts. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> fun, fun stuff. Phantom companies, LLC, I, you know, crazy stuff. Yeah, I can't tell you. I did a, a little bit of reading up last night uh, in between my watching, my marathon watching of Friday the 13th movie. Yes. Um, oh, it was a great day for that. Yes. I was surprised to find out how much they did in house. Yes, they wrote. Yeah, they wrote it. They drew it. They inked it. They colored it. They printed it, and then they handled their own distribution. Yes. and I kind of think they did their own dishes too. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. With yeah. soup to nuts, self-contained, which you don't yeah. find. Smart business. But they yeah. blew it. I mean, they blew it. They they had a collection of talent in there and didn't even realize it at the time. Just let them all walk. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these guys like Mike Zeck and John Byrne, and they were just starting out there and, uh, they walked, they got to go to Marvel and DC and all these other places because of, you know, the pay was so substantially so different. Um, uh, but they had a guy like Ditko who went back there because of the creative freedom, creative freedom. He didn't care that it, it wasn't about money for him. You know, he had his problems at Marvel and he said, enough, I'm done. Either one of you or both of you, do you have a quick story that won't spoil your movie? that you were shocked to find out or something you thought was really cool that you had no idea. Hmm. That'd be fun. Um, okay, I, I have a fun one. Um, so at the factory in the lunch hall, they had a ping pong table. And apparently Steve Ditko was quite the ping pong player, and he would play Dick Giordano. And they would play until Steve got too tired to play anymore. And Giordano took those skills that he learned playing ping pong and – one night at dinner when he invited Neil Adams over to his house many years later, they played ping pong and Neil Adams could not win a game because Giordano was so good. So I'd like to say that <laughs> Giordano got all his skills from Ditko to uh, totally house Neil Adams. The one that keeps sticking out in my mind, though, is the fact that uh, George Wildman moved the comics 
into the bowling into alley. Into the bowling alley, yeah. And, and just, you know, like Bob said, Bob Layton said in the trailer, you'd be having a strategy meeting and you'd hear a strike and everybody going, yay! Um, you know, just that alone, I think, sums up what they were. You know, running a comic book operation in a bowling alley. Yep. <laughs> there's a there's a metaphor in there that I'll have to get my head around. But the, sure. the plant was so big that you know we learned that Wildman had like a three wheeled tricycle kind of thing. He'd ride through the because he couldn't walk from one end to the other in time. He'd lose too much time yeah, it, in his day, so he had to actually drive back and forth to talk to the. Well, that and everybody chain smoked back then. Oh yeah. <laughs> man, I bet it looked like Mad Men. With yeah, <laughs> I am sure. It's, yeah, well, I'm not going to get into well, that. That was yeah. another surprise. They had this marble ballroom in there, and they would have weddings and events inside the Charlton building. Yeah, their Christmas party yeah. and everything. Because as, as much as the reputation that San Angelo had for being stingy or whatever, this he really did care about his employees. He loved them. And so if you were getting married, he'd say, have the reception in the ballroom. Or he would have other family functions there. Like, he wanted to give back to his employees. Um, he even owned all the houses on two of the streets nearby, and he would put the people in the houses. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was uh, he was responsible for a lot of uh, Italian immigrants coming over San Angelo being Italian. He would bring people back from Italy. He'd set them up with housing, give them a job at the factory. So he brought a lot of the uh, the Italian culture into the Derby community. Um so there are other ways he gave back besides just comic books and Hit Parader. They actually had an estate sale at one of his properties last summer, and I went down and met Paul Kupperberg there, and he had John Byrne with him, and so I got to meet John. And, uh, oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. He's one of the guys I really want to meet. Yeah, him. and he was, I'll tell you, he was a lot of fun. Uh, he does a great Doc Brown. Um, <laughs> he does. <laughs> and uh, we had a ball that day just going through the estate and rummaging around looking for stuff, and uh you know, I we're hoping John changes his mind about being in the film. He doesn't want to do it to this point, but uh, I don't know why, because he was not as curmudgeon and surly as we were told he would be uh, <laughs> that day. So, uh, but it was interesting. We found nothing from Charlton in there, really. Except oh, a couple shipping boxes. Shipping boxes. Shipping boxes, but uh, something. Yeah, but we were hoping there'd be a lot more. Well, there was the uh, the Charlton sign that hung on the building, but apparently Keith and friends were like, we were late, thirty minutes too late. Someone bought it up, and uh, it's so the sign is still out there. We're trying to find it. The guy actually tried to sell it on eBay for like fifteen thousand dollars. Eleven thousand. First twelve thousand, then he he lowered it to eleven thousand. I offer- well, as long as he's being reasonable yeah, about totally. it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, uh, and he gets zero for it. Yeah, so. he took it off the market. I mean, I did I did hound him through many emails saying, I will pay you the price and scrap. I'm not going to scrap it, but I want to preserve it. Um, and donate it to a museum. I don't want this in someone's garage. It belongs in a museum. It, yeah. yeah, it belongs in a museum. I heard, I heard that in Indiana Jones's voice, too. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite movie of all time, Raiders. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Yeah, so it's uh, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. No, that's that's really awesome. So, guys, in the meantime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where can they look for you at? They can go to uh, Facebook dot com slash Charlton Movie. Same thing with Twitter. At, same thing at Charlton Movie on Twitter and at Charlton Movie on Instagram. Uh, we try to post uh, fun pictures from our interviews, and if you do Periscope, which is an, an app, I was just going to say that you can. Uh, we don't do it very often, but we're trying to incorporate it more and more. You can watch uh, some of our panels. Uh, sometimes we can do it at an interview. They're only good for forty-eight hours, so it's get it or don't get it. Watch it live or watch it for you know you have a day or two to watch it. it but 
Yeah. It's uh, we actually the day after we were stuffing the um the envelopes, the envelopes with our prize packages for our Indiegogo campaign. I said let's let's put it on Periscope. For whatever reason, eighty six people watched us stuff envelopes. Yeah. For, for ninety minutes. We drank coffee and stuffed envelopes at the kitchen table, and people were watching. People that. watched it. Um, but then we we did one of our we did our most recent panel at the East Coast Comic Con in New Jersey, and we had a bunch of new friends join us on there. But we we like Periscope because it's scarcity. You either you see it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to fill up the internet with worthless crap because the other thing is that we might talk about something pertaining to Charlton, but then do an interview two months later and find out that information was not quite correct or maybe a little bit different. So we don't want to put false. We don't want to put more false. But we've never proclaimed there. to be experts. We're learning as we go too. Absolutely, and that's part of the whole thing. And uh, quickly, there's also a calendar on our website that I've added. So if you want to see where we're going to be, I'll always we'll post if we're going to go to a convention or something. We'll be on there. You can just click the calendar and because we love to meet our internet friends. We've got a lot of friends on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And so if you're at a con and we're there, please say hi. They're actually starting to do that. We had to sign it's an autograph fun. at the last convention. It's crazy. <laughs> we like some friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. cool. Well, guys, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to just make the offer. Anytime you guys want to come on, even if it's just a, you know, even if you want to just come on and talk movies sometime. Like, yeah, right? totally. Um, uh, like I said, Jackie or Keith, Simi, whatever links you got, I'll make sure they okay. go up on the show notes. And people listening, I, my dozens and dozens of followers out there, please send these guys some money because I'd like to see this. <laughs> and, um, you know, but thank you guys for coming on. I really Thanks appreciate for having it. us. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Yeah, it was really nice. Uh, and until then, you can find us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. And I tweet from at the geekishcast. So long, everybody. <laughs>